Mohammed, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the documentary recently released. Um, is documentary the right word, Benzi, for toxification? Yeah. And we're going to be discussing uh, the ins and outs and basically how difficult it was and all the ups and downs and the whole process of what it took to get a documentary from the early stages through to where it is now, which is Amazon Prime, I think is one of the first purely Sikh-based documentaries we've ever had on such a high platform, uh, independently made, and it's not only that, I've seen it, and it's such a good standard, and it's something that the whole community is very proud of that work, because as we've been out here in the diaspora, um, we a lot of highly educated Sikhs and we want to see good quality and we want to see good, tent, good content and I think your documentary definitely had both. But please tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself, how old you are, when did you start this? Well, I agree. Um, okay, so um, firstly, thank you so much for inviting me onto this platform. I've been listening to the podcast, for, I've been like one of your day one listeners, so <laughs> really, really happy to be here. Um, <laughs> So in terms of me, my name is Ramit Gaur. I am now 30 years old. And when we began toxification, I think I was 23. Um, so it's, it's been a long time coming. Um, in terms of my background, so I studied a degree in photography. Um, so I graduated in 2011. Um, and since then, I have been exploring um, different kind of visual mediums for expressing um, my views and and trying to raise awareness of different issues that are going on um, kind of all over the world but mostly uh, issues that concern kind of me and my heritage and my culture. I also I, I kind of wear lots of different hats so I'm also a um, yoga teacher and so I do a lot of work with mindfulness and meditation um, and so I'm I'm kind of slowly bringing that more and more into my practice. So making filmmaking a more mindful, conscious act and um, understanding the kind of ramifications and the responsibilities of being a documentary filmmaker, which are um, really, really huge. So, yeah, lots of different things, but uh, bringing them together somehow. And I know this is produced by yourself. You're the filmmaker behind this. But is this the first documentary that you've been involved in? Um, have you been involved in any others where you necessarily wasn't the filmmaker, but you had a role in there? Or is this the first one that you've been involved in at all? Yeah, so this is my first um, feature documentary, so full-length documentary. I've made a number of short films. I had a short film um, which was commissioned by the Arts Council and BBC. Um, that's currently on iPlayer. It's called Terra Firma. Um, but that's also a short film. So this is my first full-length film, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been a journey for sure. So you said you started when you're 23, seven years ago. So if you don't mind me asking, what what took so long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, lots and lots of things. So if I just talk you through uh, what's happened in those seven years, so. Beginning of 2014, myself and my colleague, Leva Questani, we um, studied together. So she studied uh, film production while I studied photography and we became uh, good friends while we were studying at the Arts University in Bournemouth. Um, we decided to make 
this documentary. Um, and so we began the kind of research phase of pre-production. That continued for about six to nine months. We then flew out to India in uh, October. So we were actually both on our kind of, uh, we both love traveling. So we were both backpacking in, in our different kind of uh, routes. And so both of our routes were going into India. So we had decided that that's what we would do. October, what year, sorry? October 2014. And did you just go to the Punjab or did you go to the south? Did you travel around or was it just Punjab that you traveled to? So my trip was a six-month trip starting in Nepal and ending in, um, I believe, Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I was there for six months, but Lever had been, I mean, Lever has been traveling from 2011 until a couple of years ago. So she's like, <laughs> that's kind of very much her life. She sold all of her belongings after uni and went traveling. So, yeah, we were both on, on kind of long-term trips. We both obviously didn't have a lot of camera kit on us so it was really really like literally the basic camera equipment the most basic camera equipment um and so yeah so 2014 October we were in Punjab so we were there for a month and we were really lucky to uh, kind of live a, a village life and we we lived in the Bind for um that month and we kind of traveled around most of our filming was in Sangrur uh, but we also did some filming in Amritsar and Anandpur Sahib. Okay. So that filming took a month and um, the the initial plan, so while we were in the research phase, we had actually decided to make a five-minute short film, which um, looking back is actually quite laughable, um, but that had been the plan. And so our entire research process was based around making a five-minute film and you know maybe it would stretch to 10 minutes. And while we were filming um, for this month, we were realizing that it might be a bit longer. So, you know, we'd do an interview and obviously the person would ask, how long is the film going to be? And we'd say, oh, maybe it's going to be 15 minutes. And then, you know, the next person would ask and we'd say 20 minutes and then it became half an hour. And then there was a point where we, we were like, we don't, we actually don't know. We have no clue now. (laughs) So it was, it was completely unplanned. And then um, we continued our travels um, and we met up again in London Uh, probably about nine months to a year later so this would have been 2015 and that's when we started editing and so we spent about three months editing intensively so we um we took three months off work um and we were editing every day and that was a a much longer process than we imagined a much longer process than it would be for a five-minute film which is what we had planned for and then after those three months we um, kind of had to get back to work and get back to our normal lives so we began just editing on like evenings and weekends and we did that for another couple of years after that um, we ran a crowdfunding campaign because so everything that we had done up until that point had been done by Lever or myself or our colleague Nahayan mm-hmm. so it's a really really small team of three um, and we had uh, volunteered all of our time and everything you know we'd we'd kind of covered all the costs and things like that um, we realized that we needed to pay for sound design and um, a soundtrack because those were things that we weren't able to do in-house so we crowdfunded for that um, and then we began the process of uh, getting the soundtrack done all of that kind of thing and then after that I think that that's when production really slowed down 
um, because that was the time when it, you know, I began emailing people and trying to contact people and trying to get it out there on a mainstream platform. That was always my dream. So what year, um, what, what year was it made? So um, we probably completed it in about 2017. Um, so it's, it's taken a long time to get it onto a mainstream platform. Okay, so sure. I didn't realize, yeah, the process is, is quite long. So from 2017 completion to having it on our Amazon screens today, it's, uh, it's taken four years. Is that normal or is that because it needs to gain momentum, popularity? What is the process of um, producing it and then getting it onto a high platform like Amazon? Do you contact them? Do they contact you? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's normal because I think that people who um, go out to make a feature film usually have a team behind them or they have, you know, they have some kind of infrastructure for the post-production. And, and we literally, like no exaggeration we plan to make a five minute short film and i mean it's been such an amazing journey but it's been incredibly long and there have been a lot of um you know a lot of no's and a lot of emailing and knocking on doors and a lot of you know this isn't relevant or you've missed the boat or this is not um this is not an issue or this is not a big enough issue um so yeah it's it's uh it's been quite a challenging journey i think for me because I've been really championing this film and it's been really important to me that that it is on a mainstream platform. I'm so happy to see that it's, you know, available to be watched by the masses and not just by our community. That's like massive for me. But yeah, yeah I mean... I mean, we're all so proud of yourself and just somebody in our community getting it onto it on a platform. And you're telling me about the challenges and about the, the hardships and the no's that you endured and I mean everyone at some point in their life I'm sure of this has started a project I know I have and then thought you know what this is going to be too difficult and then abandon the project so to speak whether it's a small one whether it's a big one they've looked at it and they've thought no this can be too difficult for me and doing this over the space of seven years on a voluntary basis juggling it with work with family life um, with everything else like I said, on a voluntary basis and getting all those no's, those rejections and all that negativity, how did you and what made you persevere to get it to where it is today? The biggest thing is I felt a huge responsibility. Um, even like going out there and making the film, the reason why I did it was because I felt that as a Punjabi, it was my responsibility to bring the news of the suicides that I was you know reading about in the news to bring that to um, my friends and family that was my kind of driving force and then once it was made I knew that it was powerful and I mean like even my own parents and you know <laughs> family members would say I think you should probably give up on this now because it's clearly not going to go anywhere um, and obviously they meant well but it's yeah I mean it's 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 been really it's been such an interesting journey, for sure. Yeah, but, so um, much character, so much character, because there's a lot of days where you probably did want to just throw in the towel and, and think, you know, this isn't the way. But like I said earlier, it's, it's amazing, amazing that you've got it this Benji, far. I was just going to say, like, I know you said, like, it has taken a lot of time, but it couldn't have come at a better time as well. So I know you said mm. into your spirituality and yoga and stuff and thinking about everything happens at the right time for the right reason. Yes. Especially with everything that's happening in Delhi right now, 
You know what I mean? There's no better opportunity to, for people to, to learn about what's happening to us and why we are taking to the streets of the league. You know what I mean? So I think yeah, we're, I'm... We're, 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 like, everything's felt, right, everything's felt, you know what I mean? The right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm such, a, um, I'm such an impatient person mm. and I now... I can now see why it took this long and now I can look back and say ah oh, now I realize what you know what the plan was but at the time yeah it was it's been really frustrating at times we're going to get into the whole Kasan issue shortly but we've seen from recently tweets from or social media from Rihanna and Greta who are females talking about from a external point of view fair to say, talking about what's happening and yourself talking about it from an internal point of view and being there on the ground, did you face any risks, any threats? Um, did you ever feel unsafe whilst doing this? Um, yeah, I mean, as a woman, I think um, it's uh, it's not often that it's a, um, you know, it's a positive thing to be a woman in this world but for sure like during filming I really noticed how it can be a, a positive thing to be a woman in terms of like interviews and things when you watch the film you'll see how the farmers were just so willing to open up to us and to share some really challenging um, moments with us and so that's that's a I think for me that is um, testament to the um the kind of power of being a woman and being a, a natural kind of listener and someone who is naturally open to conversations like that. So in that sense, it was it was really powerful being two young women out there kind of on our own. Um, I do remember moments, I mean, because I've done a lot of backpacking and uh, a lot of travel on my own, I've been in a number of kind of situations that I look back on and think, wow I can't believe I did that but yeah I mean I remember points where we were you know we would take lifts from strangers into different bins and all sorts of things and it was it was a it was a kind of it was it was trust and mm -hmm. Lever is much better at that than me because she had done it for so much longer than me and she was just kind of like oh this guy has offered to give us a lift into Therenthar and let's just go with him and I would be like huh and she was like no no it's fine so you know that's that's a learning as well it's about trust and what I learned was that um you know you can rely on people and even like before we were filming during the pre-production phase um I was obviously Leva is uh her um kind of background is that she's Kurdish and so she has no connection with Punjab or Punjabi or anything like that and so during pre-production we had spoken and kind of given each other tasks to do and she had said well you're Punjabi why don't you contact a Punjabi farmer and I had said yeah okay I'll do that and uh, I got off the phone and I was like how do I do that because my like my family I have no family in Punjab, I have no friends in Punjab, I do now because I've, you know, I've kept in touch with the farmers but at the time I had, I had no one in Punjab and I thought oh my god how do, I, um, how do I get in touch with a farmer, I literally had no clue and I went, I went onto Facebook and I found this Facebook group called Farmers of Punjab and I joined it and I, all, the, um, all the messages and all the comments in it were in Punjabi and I thought oh well I can't my Punjabi is really well it's non-existent essentially so I thought I can't type in Punjabi let alone speak in Punjabi so, so that, just to clarify 
what my question basically you kind of half answered it is could you speak Punjabi? Could you understand it? Could you read it? Could you write it? And Benny, my question was, so you know, the, like you said, I think you answered it. Do you still keep in touch with these farmers? Have they seen the documentary? What did they what did they think think about it? Um, yeah, so in terms of the farmers, um, I'm still in touch with some of them. So I met with Gurpratap Singh in January last year. That was the last time I was in Punjab. Um, and we had a screening at the Hermitage. Oh, okay. um, some of the farmers who are like the small scale farmers, I haven't been able to meet or speak to because they don't have phones and things like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are ways for me to kind of get in touch with them and send messages to them via other people. In they terms of my my understanding of Punjabi, yeah, uh, I am what many people call a coconut. So <laughs> brown on the outside, white on the inside. Um, Although I, you know, I went to Punjabi class, I can read and write Punjabi. I never spoke it and we never spoke it at home. And my parents only ever spoke it when they were having an adult conversation that they didn't want me and my brother to understand. So, so yeah, I, my knowledge and understanding of Punjabi is a little bit more now. But at the time when we went out there, it was like next to nothing. Um, and so just to continue this story, um, so, I, so I posted on this Facebook group and... In, in English, not in Punjabi, just in English. And I literally, a few seconds later, got a phone call from an Indian number and I answered it and it was a farmer. And uh, he was kind of like one of the more well-off farmers so he could speak English fine and all of that kind of thing. And he, he said, thank you so much for making this documentary. Come and stay with me and I will sort out everything. And that was a leap of faith because we literally got someone to drive us to his farm and we stayed with him for about three weeks. And he was a complete stranger. So, yeah, a lot of this project had has been and had been a complete leap of faith. And I think um, we were very um, blessed. And yeah, of course, I learned a lot there about um, kind of Punjabi culture and and the way that people treat each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely for sure it was a project that was um, divinely led. Like, I have no doubt that there was something really divine about how about the way that the interviews were just falling into our laps and everyone we met, you know, had a new story and every every kind of like angle that we wanted to follow, like someone would appear who would take us to this to this next farmer's house. And it was just, yeah, there was definitely something divine about it. So that's why I um, I really feel like I didn't, do like this wasn't my doing for yeah, sure i was just I mean, following a path that had been like just set out for me sure listening to from an outsider's perspective from what you've told me and you're talking about um led led by the divine a punjabi coconut as as you said and the kurdish girl backpacking across punjab making a documentary staying at um you know random people's houses and the success of it i think definitely you know, you would, yeah, the work's gone in and, you know, I think you've done a massive seva and I think, you know, I've always said this and I'll say it again, is that those that do seva, Maharaj, Guruji, Waiguru will always look after those people in whatever context they are doing seva. And you, you're talking about the safety of Punjab. We've heard so many stories since the Kasans have been in Delhi that the safety of the women there, because it was known as the rape capital of the world. And that's a fact. Mm. And now the safety that the women all feel there since the Kassans and the Punjabis have been there. 
And there's a lot of people, uh, obviously what we want to do today is highlight your work. And so the documentary, it talks about a few different things. So like you said, with Gurbatap, his story was being a drug, drug addict, getting through that and then helping other drug addicts at the Hermitage Centre. Uh, we're talking about um, the farming issues. So what are the, without going into it, telling uh, listeners too much because we want everyone to watch it, what other co- topics are covered within the documentary? So what's unique about toxification is that it connects three of the what we feel are the main issues in Punjab right now. So it's toxification of the land, mind and body. So the toxification of the land refers to overuse of agricultural chemicals, all of the issues that come with the way that farming is done in Punjab at the moment. The toxification of the body is to do with drug abuse. And the toxification of the mind is uh, the reasons behind farmer suicide, the kind of mental health aspect of it, um, any kind of stresses, loans, things like that. So what's unique about toxification is it brings the three together. And and for for us, that was really important because, um, you know, the farming issue is not just about any one of these issues. It's got to be a kind of holistic film. And that was something that we felt really strongly about when we started researching and when we got there it kind of like confirmed our suspicions that these issues all rely on each other to to be um you know prominent and challenging and who chose that title because you know it's a brilliant title how did that come about so that title came about while we were in Punjab so while we were at this um while we were staying with this farmer that I had found on Facebook I can't remember how it came about it might have been Lever that came up with it um but i remember yeah we decided on it and it was diwali that day (laughs) and so yeah the whole house was kind of like lit up and we decided on toxification it's a brilliant name and benji you've just said it there to to quote yourself is that you know the toxification of Punjab affects everyone um and there's a massive kind of connotation with people saying no it only affects the juts and the jut diaspora who are landowners and yourself, um, you know, you don't come from a particular jot background, um, but you were a young girl. You've seen the, you've seen the problems of Punjab, um, the suicides and everything else, and the toxification, like you said, and you were inspired to do this. And along the way, did anybody ever, did Cast ever come up for you? Um, no, not for me. Um, I, yeah, I mean, like, in terms of my background, I... I didn't even know what my cast was until like my kind of mid 20s. Um, so, yeah, it's never been something that has been spoken about within my family. And it's not something that we ever um, kind of experienced while we were there. Um, I think one thing that I did notice, although my understanding and knowledge of the caste system is really, really minimal. What I did notice was that I had thought that Juts were supposed to be like very rich and you know, all of that kind of thing. And when I got there and saw the farmers, I realised that many of them mm-hmm. are, de- you know, that's definitely, that stereotype is definitely, definitely doesn't ring true for all farmers. And you just like, you know, I'm I'm a kind of guy that I've always thought that I've known about Punjab, I know about the social injustice and stuff, but after watching this documentary, it just opened my eyes even more. I mean, it just feels that, you know, they're getting attacked on all different angles. And just from here, in Punjabis living abroad, I think one of the things I took away from the documentary is how can I help? How can I help 
our Punjabis in Punjab prosper and not go through this problem of, you know, the toxification, like you said, of the mind, the body and the soul. Um, I mean, you've got uh, organisations out there in Punjab, like JSJ College, um, mm -hmm. helping with the families who have farmers who, you know, unfortunately committed suicide due to debt. And then you've got your Hermitage Institute as well, doing a brilliant job with, um, I think, educating the Punjabis and helping with the drug addiction as well. So just from being there and you connecting with the people in those institutes, how can you, what would you suggest is the best way we can help? Yeah, it's a really tough one and it can feel really um, uh, kind of disempowering to be here and to, you know, not feel able or like it's possible to have any impact here. I, so my advice is, um, look into and do some research on where your food is coming from and see if there are any changes that can be made there um and it's not possible for everyone but just just um having a think about whether it's possible to buy from different sources or to go organic or anything like that i think we do play a role in this because we eat we all eat food um and so it, are there ways that we can source our food uh, which might benefit farmers all over the world a little bit more. So that's one thing. It's um, on organic there. Like, do we have like a rough? Has anybody made a rough figure or a rough cost of what it would cost the average Punjabi farmer to change to organic farming from using all these pesticides? Like, I mean, I remember that in that one clip, there's the the uncle pulls out 13 different blinger to use that um, on his fossil and yeah. on his spray, yeah, spray, <laughs> spray they call them. I mean, that just looking at that, that just didn't look healthy, did it? So no. is there I anything mean, out there who is, like, you know, uh, come up with the information of how much it would actually cost a Punjabi farmer to change to organic farming? Yeah, it's quite complex. Um, I, I don't know if there is a kind of statistic because I suppose it depends on what you grow, when you grow it, all of that kind of thing, how much it's bought for. Um, but in terms of going organic, it's, yeah, really challenging. So there is a period of up to seven years where your land is kind of detoxifying itself from all of the chemicals. Um, and it's, it's likely to be very dry and, um, you know, not have a lot of the um, like things like nitrogen will probably be depleted from the soil. So the soil will be uh, not very good quality and it will likely take about seven years or less for that soil quality to um, improve. And it also will take about seven years for the chemicals to kind of be removed from the soil. So for seven years, you might be growing organically, but you can't um, certify your land as organic because there are still chemicals within your soil. So, you know, imagine a farmer who is, um, who, who's got much less yield due to not using chemicals, but they're also not able to sell at organic prices. So there's going to be uh, kind of like four to seven years where these farmers are going to really struggle financially to make ends meet. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm really good friends with Gurpreet from Saving Punjab, who I know has been on this show. Yeah. And, and we're kind of looking into lots of different um, things that might be able to save Punjab and so I think it has to be a long-term um, project and uh, yeah definitely a shout out to the My Bind survey so anyone with friends and family in Punjab um, look into sending the My Bind survey to them because it's important that we understand which issues are happening where so that a solution can be tailored to each area 
Um, so yeah, it's a good with Singh on the show, but that survey can be done at his website, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. He again highlighted a lot of stuff. Benji, I was just listening to, um, sorry, not listening. I was just again recapping on the actual documentary and I heard something very, very, for me, it was very heartbreaking. At the end, right towards the end, they asked the farmer, they asked him, you know, would you want your kids doing this? He said, no, because the very last thing I want my kids doing is um, being farmers. And for me, I'll be honest, I'll come, I've traced my family back to seven generations and seven generations of farming. Uh, my dad farmed before he came to this country. So I'm the only one effectively that hasn't really carried on that tradition, but it's, it's, it's in the blood. But to hear that uh, a farmer who's again come from a long lineage of farmers to say basically the equivalent of what he said was it's a mugs game and that was so heartbreaking because um, our culture, uh, some aspects of our religion is built on the back of farming and would you say that's the case for small farmers, big farmers, um, in terms of small and big I mean uh, acreage or would you say generally you know what that is that is where it's going. It, it, it is a very difficult game and it's better if we come out of this. Yeah, so every farmer we spoke to said that they were educating their children because they didn't want them to work on the fields or in the farm. Um, yeah, that was true across the board, whether they were uh, large scale or small scale farmers. In terms of um, kind of my views, I think it would be a, a, a real shame if Punjab, Punjabi people were no longer working on the land um, and yeah I mean time will tell what will happen whether there will be laborers from other states kind of um, running farming in Punjab or what will happen I don't really know but I mean yeah it's, it's a huge shame it, it would be really lovely to see um, Punjabis, Punjabi farmers sending their kids to study agriculture at university and then bringing home all of that knowledge um, in order to improve farming. Sorry, Benji, just touching on that topic there where he said, are we going to have external, you know, labourers coming in and uh, working the farms or owning the, owning, owning the land and stuff? We've already um, got that problem at the minute in Punjab where, you know, the workers are the ones who are working the land and we're over here. So they're working out, potentially they're working out land with us reaping all the rewards for it. So when people are going back after so many years, they find that these workers have actually done the kabja on the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the case in a lot of states. In um, Sangrur, where we were, um, so when we went in October, there, it was um, harvest time. And what had happened was there had been one um, rainfall, which had happened one month, one, sorry, one week later than it was kind of meant to. And that meant that they couldn't use combine harvesters because the, uh, the ground was too um, wet and soft so uh that you know there there were huge huge fields and everyone you'd kind of like drive because they had given the family that we were staying with had given us like a couple of um cars to kind of drive around in and we were driving around and on either side of the road there were people thrashing wheat by hand and that's like i mean if you imagine probably you could do a whole like field in a day in a combine harvester and if you are to cut each kind of you know bunch of rice or wheat and thrash it yourself on an oil drum that's gonna take like i don't know a couple of weeks longer than you know sure. just I mean, doing that, it for a day and so and so that kind of thing you know you are going to need to hire laborers 
because it's really difficult to do that yourself. And it's, it's tough when you're reliant on nature. Definitely. The documentary highlights uh, quite a few key things, some of which, I guess, are around uh, the self-infliction of um, the, the negative uh, things that are going on in Punjab. So the workers getting addicted to drugs. Some of things, uh, as you've described, are kind of uh, natural causes, bad weather and that kind of thing. Um, but also, I think it's important to mention here is the water supply of Punjab, which has been diverted uh, for quite a few decades now. And, and it was one of the key reasons why uh, the Tarm Yud Murta was actually started. And Sandra Nair Singh is one of the main reasons why uh, the Tarm Yud Murta was, was around, uh, was actually for Punjab to get its water back. So I guess my question to you is, Benji, is, is in learning all of these kind of uh, impacts on agriculture, did this kind of spur you to kind of lead uh, into more research between the war of the state against Punjab and the kind of Sikh agitation as a whole? Yeah, I think my views on this have um, changed quite a lot. So when we went out to film, I hadn't, um, I don't know, it wasn't really on my agenda to be interested in, in these kind of political issues. But I want to keep that separate from the film because, yeah, we've purposefully um, created a film which is as neutral as possible um, but in terms of like my own views one of the things is that uh, yes so it's regrettable that the um, water has been diverted from Punjab um, that's that's a really kind of um, difficult position to be in but what's really interesting is that we can um, we as Punjabis can actually uh, make huge changes in ourselves so even with the water being diverted so for instance um, as you will have heard in the film in order to farm with chemicals you need to use a lot more water um, so that in addition to the fact that only really rice and wheat are grown in Punjab rice especially is a very thirsty crop um, and so we're using up a lot more water than we used to uh, when we used to grow lots of different crops so there are lots of things that we as Punjabis can do to um, kind of mitigate the effects of, uh, I suppose, the the government's um, kind of their effects on Punjab. I think there's a lot we can do ourselves. And my personal view is that we um, as Sikhs and as Punjabis, there have been lots and lots of moments in history when we were not supported by the, the kind of governments or whoever was ruling the lands at those times and so for me you know on a personal level I believe that you know we never we never kind of like looked to the government to support us then or maybe we did but but it you know there there was some sense of um, being able to bring ourselves out of challenge or being able to be empowered enough to make changes or you know deciding to make decisions to um, support ourselves and so now I, I also feel the same way and I feel that although the situation is challenging and not everyone is supporting us there are ways that we can support ourselves and and be empowered once again Definitely. so this is not this is not kind of the first time that we've been disempowered as Punjabis and I don't see why um, I, don't I don't see why we have to kind of like um, accept expect the government to save us because in the past that's not been the case yeah no i, I totally agree i don't think Punjabis or Sikhs are used to uh government savior complex uh, as it were um, we've always taken uh, what was ours and, and yeah 
with some sort of economy. Um, so yeah, that's I mean that's really interesting. So what in as per your research, as so the three bills that are being proposed now, how would you uh, how would you kind of how much of an effect do they have? Yeah, what what what's the effect of those in your research and in your understanding, having spent a lot of uh, time on ground level there? Um, how much of a big impact will they have on the agriculture and farming in Punjab? Yeah, uh, two things. Firstly, agriculture has been an industry in Punjab which has been struggling for a long time. So when we went to the Mundi, we understood that um, first, the minimum support price is not always um, kind of like adhered to that. I mean, to be honest, we had never when we went to film, no one mentioned minimum support price. So clearly it's not something that is, um, you know, a, a lifeline for people. It's not something that's so important that they felt they should mention it. No one mentioned it in any of the interviews. Um, so I think minimum support price is not currently um, a, a phenomenon which is which is um, kind of used by everyone. Um, so that's the first thing. And then secondly, I think it's, I think the three agricultural bills will probably affect small scale farmers. We um, don't know, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, from my personal view, I, it looks like and it sounds like they're going to make small scale farmers livelihoods much more challenging. We don't know that for sure. And I know that different people have different um, views on that based on their own research. I think time will tell, but I know that the situation was not perfect to begin with. And I know that a lot of the issues that were there during toxification are still there now. Some of them are worse. Some of them are, um, you know, the same. And I think, yeah, time will tell. We'll see. Friends, you know, you, you've said some amazing things today, and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of inspiration for a lot of people. So what I want to ask you is to a young person, let's say a young female who maybe isn't necessarily in touch with their culture, um, who has been educated on the Kassan movement and feels that pain and feels they want to do something. Um, when you were 23 years old, you took up a challenge and you delivered on that challenge and it's been a huge success. But what would you say to a young person who is feeling a young, let's say young female, similar age to yourself, who's in your position now, what would you say to them would be a good seva or some something that could contribute to the community as your work has done? I think uh, the advice I would give would just be to um, follow, follow your heart, really. Um, this has never felt like seva because I've genuinely enjoyed every minute every email I have sent you know every minute that I've worked on this project I have done it in in complete joy and I feel so so grateful to have been given this like amazing server that I've absolutely loved um, but yeah so my advice would be just just follow your heart and whatever gives you that spark or brings you joy or you know whatever you really want to do just make it happen it can be um very difficult at the beginning of a project to make it a reality but um you know it's it's up to us at the end of the day to to bring something to fruition because no one else is going to kind of do it for you so you know in a sense it's kind of like feel that responsibility to do it because no one else will and you've said it yourself 
this is something that you did, but recently in, I sent, I sent various videos in my family WhatsApp group and one of my younger cousin sisters, who's um, well-educated, but she hasn't necessarily um, been too, too close to her roots in the past. And what she felt, she felt that systematically, as Baji had said earlier, that you know we're being in a way targeted and oppressed. And in not, around the 1980s, when the Sikhs of Punjab felt that the government was oppressing them and, and the Sikh way of life, a lot of people who were not gay stari, who did not have their hair, they all wore the stars as a form of protest is that you can't bully us, you can't force us, you can't, you know, you can't dictate to us our way of life. And as a form of protest, a lot of people that didn't actually have their gears, they kept their hair. And what bringing it back to what my uh, cousin sister did, she felt then now is that they're trying to attack our culture in a way. And she has took online Punjabi classes, speaking, understanding, reading, and writing. So I would say to all the people out there is all the youngsters that if you can't speak it, understand it, read it or write it, that is a massive thing that you can do is continue our culture by simply, simply doing that. I, I agree. I think um, if we listen to the protests on the ground now in Delhi, um, everybody is viewing this, the three bills, um, and the farming crisis, the agricultural crisis, uh, they're describing it as an attack on Punjabiyat the Hornsty, on the existence of Punjabiyat, on the existence of our culture, of our language. Uh, we were talking about green revolution, not to divert off too much, but Punjabi Suba was happening at the same time. Um, 1955, Akal Tat was actually invaded by the police um, because there was mass agitation for the um, for, for kind of uh, Punjabi to be the main language in Punjab. So I think I think that's spot on by these. I think this should bring us back to our roots. This kind of uh, a threat or this kind of attack should bring us back on back onto our roots. And Benji, what can we expect for all the fans of toxification? What can we expect next from Rehmat Um So yeah, I plan to make more work similar to this. So there are a lot of issues that we couldn't fit into toxification. Like I mean, we uncovered a lot in our interviews about cancer rates in Punjab uh, that just didn't fit into the film there just wasn't enough space um, so there's a lot more to be done and and I hope to continue going to Punjab and making more work like this um, yeah I mean it's it's a passion for me for sure so and I and I do feel the responsibility to um, kind of put my skills to good use and make sure that whoever is telling these stories of Punjab is Punjabi and has some connection to the land. Definitely. I mean, just to finish, Benji, for all those people that haven't yet seen it, um, where can they watch it? And is it just purely for English listeners? Is it for Punjabi listeners? Is it a mixture? Um, if you could just let all the listeners know where it's available and what is the kind of uh, target audience for it? Yeah, so it's available in the UK and US on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, anywhere outside of that, it's available on Nishani Plus, which is a new platform for like Sikhi-related content. Um, so we always hoped that the film would be watched by 
literally everyone. Um, it was never meant to be like a film just for Sikhs or Punjabis. Mm. Um, yeah, so our hope is that everyone watches it. It's not just for Punjabis, it's not just for Sikhs. So please, um, if you watch it, if you like it, share it with friends, Sikh and non-Sikh friends. Like um, you can follow us on social media at toxificationdoc, which is D-O-C for documentary. Um, and yeah, please share, spread the word so that we can get as many people as possible watching this film. Definitely. I mean, you're saying it's for the wider community and anyone involved in agriculture anywhere in the world, they'll get a good insight. And like we said earlier on in the show is anyone that's eating has a connection with a farmer because that food all comes from somewhere. And so everyone has a connection in one way or another to a farmer. And this documentary highlights that. I can only say to all the listeners, we're not here, we don't get any kind of, like yourself, you're voluntary, we're voluntary, there's no financial reward here, but all I can just say to all the listeners is, honestly, go and watch this documentary, it's absolutely brilliant, Raman Kaur, you've been an inspiration to a lot of people, especially to us, we're big fans of your work, and we hope to see more from you in the future. Wai Guruji Ka Khalsa, Wai Guruji Ka Khalsa, Wai Guruji Ka Khalsa,